Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project, Season 7, Episode 6. And oh boy, it's a super exciting day. <laughs> uh, I am recording this on Friday, July 15th. And earlier this morning, thanks to a lot of help and support from a lot of different people, my YouTube channel hit the 100,000 subscriber milestone, which doesn't make sense when I logged into YouTube studio and saw the little thing up there, you know, the number, it's like that number doesn't compute. It's like bank error in your favor. Uh, but it's real. It's a real thing that happened. And that is incredibly exciting. And just through, um, I, I guess, just coincidence, serendipity, that's the word. It also just so happened to be that today is the 15th that I'm recording this. And on the 13th, two days ago, was my five-year YouTube anniversary from uploading my first video. And that same day, I also uploaded and scheduled my 350th video. So it was like a really cool week of just milestones that landed on each other coincidentally. And I thought it'd be very, very fun to just sort of celebrate that. Not not just celebrate it because it's like, hey, listen to me, pat myself on the back for an hour. That's worth your time. Uh, but more just like I, I kind of want to reflect. I want to sort of share some stuff. And then also my hope is that just kind of from listening and I hope there's like insight to be gained. You know, I don't know, learn from my mistakes or that kind of a thing. But maybe there's something that can be gleaned from the experience and then maybe you can apply it or it'll, I don't know, maybe it will fit in your journey in some way. Hopefully that would be absolutely wonderful. Before all that, uh, let's talk a little bit about gear though. So today sticking with basically the exact same setup as last week, because I really, really loved the way that it sounded. It was so easy. So this is the SM7B running directly into the Rodecaster Pro 2. This week's video was a whole, was about this setup and not needing a booster where I actually compared like with and without cloud lifters and fet heads and all that stuff. And Rode's claim, which I was very nervous when they made this claim with the Rodecaster Pro 2 that you shouldn't use a booster with it because it will actually make the signal noisier. I was skeptical, understandably skeptical, <laughs> because it's a very big claim. And part of me was very nervous because I was like, oh man, if, if they don't live up to this thing they just said, it's going to be bad because people are going to be really people are going to eat them alive. And in that case, maybe rightfully so, because it is such a bold claim, but they were completely correct. Like it, it really is noisier if you add a booster to it. Uh, so that's what we're running right now. I am also, and this is more important. I did the exact same thing I did last week, which is maybe something I shouldn't do, but I updated the firmware right before recording this episode. So <laughs> I'm on beta firmware 1.0.7, which the release notes say it just has some bug fixes and things. And I think from what the release notes said, it sounds like this is like the last beta firmware before all of these new features, which include like totally revamped mix minus and some interface tweaks and, and just some really, really cool updates. I think this is the last beta version before the public release. Anybody can join the beta version if you have it. Um, you can just Google like Roadcaster Pro beta program and you just have to put in your serial number and then they'll explain how to, they'll add your roadcaster to like the beta list. And then they'll explain to you how to get into beta mode. It's super easy. And you can just keep up, up ugh, downloading updates, updating downloads, whatever. You can do that with it. And it's pretty cool. And I think, you know, the, the 
The caveat, of course, is that it is beta firmware, so there could be bugs or weird things. And I did the super professional move once again of installing it and then just immediately recording something that other people are going to hear. So uh, <laughs> if something weird happens, it's probably a beta bug or just a user error on my part because those happen too. And another thing, and I forgot to mention this um, for the last couple of weeks, and I should have mentioned this actually, uh, an overlooked part of audio setup, something I've been using and I'm using today is a brand new XLR cable, which I know doesn't off the bat sound like the most exciting thing in the world, but this is one of the cables made by Alan from Soundspeeds, the YouTube channel Soundspeeds. Um, Alan's been on my channel a couple of times. I've been on his streams. He's an amazing guy. He's a professional like boom mic operator for movies and TV shows. He, he does like Stranger Things and he's done Marvel movies. Like he's done... You, you've definitely watched and heard stuff that he's recorded, which is very cool. Uh, but one thing he does from time to time is he makes his own XLR cables that are like incredibly high quality. And I feel bad because when he's done, his like hands are all cut up and it's like a really uh, painstaking process to put these together. But they're they're not just like high quality cables. They also are super resistant to to any kind of interference and it sounded like the biggest flex in the world when he sent me the cable um but it's, it's a true thing he he said don't use this microphone cable on any mic reviews and i asked why and he said it's because it is so good that it could potentially make the microphone sound better like because the microphone itself might be susceptible to some kind of interference or something and the cable could downplay that or could help eliminate that. But that means somebody could hear the test, decide that the microphone is great. They get it and they connect a traditional, you know, or just even like a cheapo Amazon XLR cable, like the ones I normally use, they connect that to it. And it's not going to sound exactly the way that they wanted uh, or that they thought it would based on the video. It's like, wow, which sounds, I mean, it is a big flex, but it's, it's true. There's, Cable, cables are so easy to overlook, but bad ones, I have been burned so many times, especially recently by cables just giving out. Like right now I'm moving the microphone, twisting things around. It's probably not the best thing to be doing, but there's no weird static. There's no weird poppings. The signal's not dropping, which is normally what happens when I move the microphone. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's really cool. That's an overlooked thing. If you follow Alan from time to time, he'll like, he puts together these batches of cables. I think he did like 60 or 70 different cables this time. Uh, it's totally worth it if you want a good cable. And I know Rode is also supposed to be making XLR cables because uh, they're in some of the promo materials. They're supposed to be like all the colored ones, like the traditional Rodecaster blue, green, pink, orange colors are supposed to have like XLR cables that match those so everything can be color coded. And I'd really love to have those, but I don't think they're out yet. So. I will be ordering those as soon as they are available. Uh, anyway, so that's what we're recording today. Biggest takeaway there is uh, if something weird happens, I just wanted you to know I'm using beta firmware. May or may not be a smart choice, but moving on. Uh, yeah, lots of milestones this week, which is incredibly exciting. So I think the first thing to do is to thank everybody, especially people who listen to the podcast, you're kind of going a, a step above and beyond. It's not the YouTube algorithm that's serving a video that hopefully you like, which is great, but it sort of like takes some extra steps, burn some extra calories to find, download, listen to, spend time listening to a podcast. And I really appreciate that. And I've gotten so many just kind messages over the years from the podcast and so much support and so much encouragement. And it really means so much it just means so, so much. Uh, and I'll talk about why as we go through this. So uh, I think the first thing 
these milestones are really cool. Like I always love anniversaries, birthdays and stuff, not just for like ah, celebrating, but as time to reflect. I think that's really cool to think about where you are, think about where you've been, all the things that have happened in between. It's an important thing to do, I think. And it's really neat when multiple things just sort of stack up on each other. But one thing that I do want to point out just to just to make sure, pun semi-intended, that I, I'm staying down to earth with all this is earlier this week, the James Webb Telescope released a whole bunch of images from space, which is is crazy. Like if you haven't seen these images, definitely go check them out. They will give you existential terror and they're also beautiful. Um, and it's, you know, there's the, the most popular one that's been going around is they just pointed the telescope at a very small portion of sky that they equated to if you put like a grain of sand on the tip of your finger and held it out at arm's length, that's the size of piece of sky that they were looking at. And in it, it, it's an image that's just completely like overloaded with, it looks like a bunch of stars, but almost every single speck of light in that is an entire galaxy, each of which has hundreds of millions, if not billions, or I think one of the astronomers said tens of billions or hundreds of billions of stars in, uh, the numbers make no sense. Uh, So when you think about that, you're like, well, boy, this, I'm I'm very insignificant and the stuff I'm doing, you know, probably not the most important thing in the universe right now. But at the same time, I, a cool thing about having that sense of scale and perspective is it sort of gives you the freedom to decide what is important to you and what's not important to you. Because if nothing matters, then you can decide what matters to you and you don't need to justify it to anybody. And talking about milestones you know, and if you're talking about social media and vanity metrics and all that, it's it's very easy to get cut up, caught up in all of those things. And this specific YouTube milestone, the 100K one, is a big one to me. I mean, it's a big one on YouTube and like YouTube culture, but specifically, I have chosen to care about this milestone. <laughs> there, you know, like realistically, there's not a huge difference between having 99.5 and 100, like the channel performance didn't change when when the counter rolled over this morning, you know, I don't know, a, a dump truck full of money didn't just back up to our house or anything like nothing really changed, but a lot of things changed. And it's, you know, it's the power of the milestone. And that's kind of something that I wanted to, well, I, mean, I guess I'm, I have so many things. I have like a list of notes to go through here and I almost don't know how to approach it. So let me explain why this milestone matters to me. And then let's go back in time a little bit. Let's do that. So first and foremost, uh, the reason this milestone matters to me is because YouTube is the platform that I care about the most. It's the one that I spend the most time on, both as a viewer and as a, as a person who makes stuff for the platform. It's the one that I'm invested in the most. It's the one that drives everything else that helps me earn a living. So it's very important to me. And it's been it's been a huge part of my life for many, many, many years, not just as someone who has a channel, but even prior to that, just as someone who relied on the website both for information and entertainment. So it's very near and dear to me. Also, as somebody who has spent my entire life making videos, like the appreciation for YouTube is is pretty huge. Um, everybody, you know, who creates stuff online has their platform of choice. I have a lot of fun on Instagram, have a lot of fun on Twitter. It's like, it's such an amazing way to connect to people. I have no idea what my numbers are on any of those platforms. Like I don't, I'm unaware. I don't check it. 
Um, I'm guessing they're in the millions because how could they, how could they not be? I'm kidding, by the way. Um, it's just a thing where it's like, I don't know, if you told me I had 2,000 Instagram followers, I'd be like, yeah, cool. If you told me it was 100,000, I'd be like, that seems like a lot, but cool. Like it, it doesn't, for me, that's just not where the focus is. So, but on YouTube, it's a very different story. And within, so with that in mind, in YouTube culture, the 100K milestone is a bit, there's a few milestones that matter and you can set up any that you want. A big one that I remember starting out is when I met Heather, my wife, she had 4,300 subscribers. And I remember the reason I know that is because she came to my classroom to talk about digital media with my students. And of course, as soon as they found out she had a YouTube channel, the first question they ask is, how many subscribers do you have? And the second question they ask is, how much money do you make? And uh, so they asked how many subscribers. She said 4,300. And in my mind, that was the legit number then because she was legit. To, she she was legit. But, in, you know, I was looking up to her. I was admiring her. She was someone I reached out to. I invited to, you know, share stuff with my students. This was before we were ever like married or dating or anything. And I just looked up to her as a pro YouTuber and she had 4,300. So that was the number that got stuck in my head as like, that's the legit number. Um, which was just kind of arbitrary. If she had had 2,000 that day, that number would have got stuck in my head. If she had had 200,000, it would have got stuck in my head. But that's the one that was there. And then as I was starting my channel, uh, the the milestones that really stood out, obviously like 100 is a big one because it feels impossible, especially if you're just starting out. It's it's like unreal. I remember getting stuck at like 25 and the channel just wasn't growing. So it took six, seven months to hit a hundred, which just, that also included like 50 videos. It was a lot of work. And then I hit a hundred, but a hundred mattered to me because you got your custom URL. So instead of, so I could actually share my channel easier um, and direct people to it easier, which was something that was very hard to do when your channel URL is just this long string of random numbers and letters. So the custom URL is really, really big. And then, um, after that, going toward it, so it was another, I guess it was only another like six months before the channel hit a thousand after that, which was also something that seemed absolutely impossible. And I remember thinking, okay, Heather, at that point she was past 4,300, but the 4,300 number is probably not something I'll be able to reach. A thousand would be absolutely insane. If I hit that point, I'll just stop caring about numbers because I'll have made it, <laughs> was how I felt. And, and then wouldn't you know it, the goalposts move. So you hit a thousand, you're like, that's incredible. I can't believe it. What about 2000? <laughs> uh, it's just human nature, unfortunately. Um, and a thousand in YouTube land is a big one because that's when you can become monetized. I didn't care about that at the time because it, I didn't monetize for a long time after that, but it is a very important milestone. Um, and ended up playing a huge role because as I wanted to make YouTube my job, being able to monetize on YouTube, it plays a huge role in that. So I'm very, very happy for that milestone. And after that, like basically none of the milestones matter. I think they've changed this. At, it used to be like, I think, what was it? 10K opened up community posts and 30K opened up memberships. Like there were some features that you did have to get bigger numbers to have access to. But I think since then they've changed all of that. Some of them might be like a thousand. I think you do get some bonus features when you hit a thousand like that but that's kind of it like nothing else really happens until the 100k mark 
And then after that, nothing really happens until you hit the million, <laughs> the million subscriber mark. And then beyond that, it's, it's, what is it? It's 10 million, 50 million, hundred million numbers. I'll never have to worry about. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's fine. But I think that's, that's about it. And obviously at the hundred K mark, the most famous thing that you get is your silver play button. Um, which I'd be absolutely lying if I said I wasn't super excited about it. I totally am really excited about that. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. Um, but the other thing you, you, you get your channel verified. Um, and this is where it's like, I was thinking about this yesterday because nothing changes. You go from whatever 99.9 to hundred K, nothing really changes, but in some ways things do, whether or not it's fair, things do change because getting the uh getting the verification does change how your channel even though they kind of say it doesn't it totally does change how your channel is perceived on the platform like according to youtube all the verification does is it just verifies that that is the person's channel but also if you go to a lot of search results recommended stuff especially comment sections verified channels tend to pop up first and i don't think that that's necessarily fair. If anything, it's it's not, you know, someone can add like a really insightful remark to a video that gets absolutely buried, but then someone with a check mark just says like, let's go, bro, emojis. And then they're like at the top just because of that. Um, that's not necessarily fair, but it is a thing. And obviously as someone who, if you are someone who creates on YouTube, things that help surface your channel to more people or make it more visible are valuable. Like whether or not that's, again, fair or not, it is just the way that it works. And when it comes to working with brands, working with companies, uh, again, I wish this wasn't necessarily the case, but if a brand reaches out to you and you have 20,000 subscribers versus 100,000, even though they might want you to do the exact same thing, the rate that they'll accept or the budget, as they say, could be very, very different just because of those numbers. Even though that doesn't necessarily, you know, of course, 100,000 views doesn't mean, or 100,000 subscribers doesn't mean 100,000 views. Like, it doesn't guarantee anything. There are so many channels that ha that are significantly smaller than that that perform so much better because even though their subscriber base isn't huge, they're serving a very specific audience really well. So you can sometimes find channels that have 20 or 30,000 subscribers, but every video they put out gets 20 to like 50,000 views or more, whereas you have channels, you know, like, Mine's at 100 right now, and if I can, if a video hits 10K within the first week, that's an absolute success, a banger, as the kids say. And, you know, from a from a brand's point of view, it would make more sense to work with the channel that's has a, a higher viewership, but a lot of them just look at the, the numbers, and it's unfortunate in a lot of ways but it is something from the creator perspective that does change things when you hit that milestone so i know that that feels very superficial it feels very like probably what you shouldn't be focusing on but as i was thinking about why does this matter and do things change it, it really does change and even just approaching the milestone i've gotten emails and reaching people reaching out from companies that i've never heard companies I've wanted to hear from but never have before 
And I can't help but think that it is because like nothing video wise or content wise has changed on the channel, but the perception has changed as, as it's gotten a little bit bigger, fully recognizing also that like there are a ton of channels <laughs> that are significantly larger, but you know, Hey, it's the biggest my channel's ever been. So I'm excited about that. Uh, so that just kind of contextualizes that milestone, like on the YouTube platform, why it matters there. For me personally, though, it's it's a bit different. Those are things, and that's cool. Um, but the reason it matters to me is actually a little bit different, and it really has to do with something that I've Heather and I talked about on the couples table this week, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's sort of these like things that YouTube has opened up for me personally. So. Starting YouTube was never about hitting a milestone or earning a certain amount of money or anything like that. It was purely to do something. My voice cracked twice in those sentences. It was purely to do something creative uh, for myself because I was so tired of feeling uncreative and feeling like all of the skills that I had were just being used. You know, teaching students was great. I'm happy to use my skill set for that. But the, the other work that I was doing was a lot of very just like plain Jane kind of corporate stuff that was fun technically to make, but it wasn't like inspiring or, or anything. And it didn't even belong to me. Like once it's done, I never see it, share it, post it again. It's just sort of over. So creating something for myself became very important. And that was really where the channel came from. It had nothing to do with numbers or performance or anything. So just starting the channel, making a video was a huge, an absolutely huge huge thing for me because I'd wanted to start a channel since 2012, um, you know, been watching YouTube for a long time, but early YouTube from like 2005, at least in my sphere, 2005 to the early 2010s really did seem to just sort of be kind of more random. Like someone might have a channel, but it's, you know, here's some gameplay footage. Here's a tutorial about something. It, it you know, that's badly shot with a webcam or whatever. Um, it didn't really seem like there were people who were setting aside time to try to produce ultra high quality stuff until the early 2010s is when I started noticing channels like Film Riot, where they they were really trying to communicate something. They were like almost like having a, a show format and a set. Um, there were lots of other people like I remember Dave Dugdale being a big one who was one of the big people in the like DSLR video time when well, his channel was learning DSLR video. <laughs> so yeah, and Dave was great. And he he sort of documented from like getting his Canon T2i all the way up until around the time he stopped posting videos, he was, you know, in like the ultra high-end science of like color correction and all these things. And it over however many years that was, he kind of like, you saw that progression. But I remember watching a lot of his videos when it would be like DSLR reviews, lens reviews and stuff. And he kind of had like his office set up. He was at his desk. And I remember thinking like, it's really cool that this guy like intentionally sits down and tries to make things look good and make them sound good and then shares stuff that's really helpful and interesting. And I remember that being around 2011, 2012, because that's when I started teaching digital media. And I wanted to learn as much as I could about this stuff because it wasn't just my own interest anymore. It was also stuff that I needed to teach. So it's like, hey, we have these Canon 5D Mark IIs in my program. What can you do with those? I'm going to look, watch every video I possibly can about the Canon 5D Mark II, like that kind of thing. And that's why I started feeling like, oh, I really, I'd love to be able to do this. But I wasn't in the right place mentally, emotionally, uh, the support surrounding me. It just didn't, it just didn't, it just didn't get there. 
Uh, and so it wasn't until 20, late 2016, early 17, it was like a very dark time <laughs> for me. It was really rough, more so than we need to go into in this, this episode right here. But it was kind of that thing of like when you're at an ultra, ultra, ultra low point and it feels like nothing matters, almost like when you're looking at those photos from space, it's like, well, if nothing matters, then who cares? Like, I'll just do whatever I want. And in a way, it almost felt like gaining confidence. But in my note here, I wrote, didn't gain confidence, gained degaff because it was more the ability to like to just finally stop caring. Why focus on people who aren't supportive, who, who not even just aren't supportive, who are harmful, who are actively harmful and holding you back. Like why, like why you don't, you don't need to, you can just not do it. You can just not deal with that. Uh, you know, I'm, well, I shouldn't speak that broadly because people are in all kinds of different situations. In my case, I had a lot of circumstances that it's like, it's, it's painful and it's uncomfortable and it's frustrating, but I can just walk away from, I can just shut it down. I can decide to just stop. And it's scary and difficult to do that, but it's possible. And that was, that was a very, very big deal. That's also around the same time, of course, like Casey Neistat's doing his daily vlogs. I'm watching tons of that. And he, um, that was the thing that his perspective of the way he approached everything from his own point of view, and it didn't matter if it was unconventional or not, he was just doing things his way. And he was creating videos in such a way that helped it feel okay to be imperfect, helped it feel okay to be a little bit sloppy, to be personal. I thought that was really, really cool. Like it made the idea attainable to me. I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit, <laughs> but it's okay. It made the idea attainable to me. And so I, that was the kind of thing where I was like, okay, I'm going to start this YouTube channel and Heather and I talked about this on the couples table this week, but originally the idea was to like profile other people. I wanted to, to find people who were doing really cool, creative things that they were enthusiastic about, and I could do little profile pieces on them, which is why it was called The Enthusiasm Project, which is now the title of this podcast. Uh, so Andy, that's where that came from. And I created the channel and was starting to like reach out to people and plan stuff. And very, very quickly, I realized oh, it's a, it's going to be a scheduling nightmare. Even people who want to do stuff, like it's going to be lining up our calendars is going to be impossible. It's going to involve me traveling to a lot of places. I'll maybe be able to make one video every two or three months. And that isn't what I wanted to do. A big thing about YouTube was I wanted to make more stuff faster because so many of the projects I've been working on prior were things that would take, it'd be like a, you know, a, a silly little three minute promo or even like a 60 second thing, uh, like a promo piece or something. And we would be spending somewhere between like two and four months just on these and all the revisions and the back and forth and the reshooting this. And it's like, I hated that process. I wanted something, you know, it was, Casey was making a video every day, a whole thing every single day. I wanted to do something like that. But I was definitely not in the position of thinking that I was nearly as interesting <laughs> as Casey Neistat was. He has a great personality to be on camera and to make uh, him a personality-centric channel. I definitely was not comfortable with that. Um, but part of my whole, like, at that time trying to learn new things was getting my drone license. And that was something that, um, that was the kind of thing that, 
at prior points in my life, I just wouldn't have thought I could do because I didn't know anything about it and I thought I was too dumb to figure it out. And I also would have been ridiculed for spending any kind of money or time on that. You're going to pay $150 to take this test or what are you going to buy a drone? Like you don't need to spend $1,200 on it. Like that, that kind of just, I don't know, negativity. So I would have never done it. Instead, it's like, no, I'm going to do this. And it was it was so much fun. I know like the sectional charts and the whole, the technical side of the, the drone test can be so tedious and boring, but I loved it because it was something entirely brand new that I had no background in, no knowledge of, and I got to learn it from scratch. And I relied so much on YouTube to get me through that. And that was wonderful. And when I was done with that, the thing that I felt was, man, it's really cool that YouTube guided me through this, but it was confusing because there's there's paid courses, there's unpaid stuff, there's so many videos. Some of them are you know, incomplete. Some of them have unnecessary info. A lot of them overlap. I probably could have saved a lot more time if I knew what to focus on and not felt so overwhelmed. And that's when I realized that could be my video because if I'm not waiting for other people to make a video, if, if I am the, like, the choke point then I can make a lot more videos. So I was uncomfortable with the idea of having to be in front of the camera, but I thought maybe that's a good thing to learn how to do and get comfortable with. I was forcing my students to do it when they were working on their projects. They had to, you know, film and do stuff and sometimes be in front of the camera. So I was like, you know, I should feel more how that feels too. And then because of the drone thing, it was like, here's an area where there's something missing in the conversation. I was, I found the best resources for me which were like two videos on YouTube and an app. And it was like, if you watch, if you just repeatedly watch these two videos until you can pass every practice test on the app consistently, you'll be ready to take the test. So let me talk to you about these resources and then walk you through the process of how to register and actually take the test because it was a little bit complicated at the time. And that was the video I would have needed. It would have been really helpful to me. It didn't exist yet. I'll create it. It's so concrete. It's not about me. It's about explaining something. So it was the perfect like first YouTube video idea um, to make. And I uploaded that on July 13th, 2017. And after that, I did a handful of videos that were like, there a lot of them were about 3D printing. I think I tried to do a review. I, I bought a drone to celebrate passing my test. And then I bought a case for it. And I did like a review of it. So I was like, wow, I'm going to have like a top down shot. I'm going to make a review video, which I had never done before. And then that was maybe over the next month or so. And then I met Heather and she was so incredibly encouraging with like, yes, YouTube is something you don't have to feel ashamed of for wanting to do. Uh, and you're somebody who's valuable. Like you, you have stuff to share and it's worth sharing. So you should do that, <clears throat> which is true for pretty much everybody. And, but sometimes you just need to hear someone else tell you that and, and say that. And so then it was the 30 videos in 30 days and then just basically a video every, at least one video every week. So from that first video, July 13th, 2017 to now, not over that five-year period, not a week has gone by where at least one video hasn't gone out. Sometimes, you know, it was seven videos in a week because I was doing a daily thing or it'd be two or three videos in a week, but not one week has gone by where not at least one video has come out which is crazy. Um, and for the past three years, just over three years, it's been every Thursday, 5.15 a.m. Pacific time, um, which is like, it's great. And that's great for me. That's not like a thing where I'm saying that you have to be, you have to do that to like succeed on YouTube. It was a really good thing for me. 
and for my process and to push me. So it's what worked for that, not necessarily for for everybody else. But that was kind of what kicked things into gear. And that first, that whole first chunk of time, whatever, the first 50 videos, 100 subscribers, was all just about getting comfortable with the process and figuring things out. And the fact that I had made a channel and made videos and felt kind of comfortable in front of the camera and was learning more, that was where I was like, you know, I accidentally uh, opened up the slow motion function on my Sony RX100 that I was using most for most videos at the time. Like I accidentally clicked into the, it was like, the, I think it was 240 FPS, but it was at 720. So it was super slow motion, but at a lower resolution. I was like, oh, this looks cool. So then I got super into slow motion video. That's where I learned how to do hand-drawn titles. That's where I learned how to light things and handle audio better. Even though I knew these and I had these skill sets before, this is where it really like, the the amount of growth from just constantly, consistently doing it was huge. It was way more than I could have expected. And that that is completely separate from any kind of subscriber numbers or view numbers or anything like that because I was growing with every video no matter what. And that was incredibly exciting. And then it was after that that like, okay, the channel's kind of growing. By by the one year mark, a little before one year, I was starting to feel like the channel kind of has an identity. I sort of, you know, maybe I'm a little more comfortable just saying specifically I do want to talk about audio and video stuff. I felt like that niche was a little too saturated, but it's the thing that I love and don't get tired of. So it's like, it's the thing I can make the most videos about because I've never gotten tired of it. And I'll just throw my hat in the ring too, even though I, it was already felt very, very crowded at the time. And, you know, I'm really, really happy that I did that. So that was kind of when it, it it started then shifting over the years to, you know, I've talked about so many different episodes that we don't need to, to rehash, but then finding the balance between, okay, I want to create videos, I want to have, be personally satisfied, have a balance, manage a job, and then eventually get to a point where this becomes the job and the whole thing. It's, it's pretty crazy, but somewhere, I, I can't remember, this, this is so funny because it's a quote that was really important to me that has stuck with me ever since. And I don't remember who said it or where I heard it. I just remember it was someone that I respected their opinion of. And I feel really bad that I don't remember the person, but I remember their their little insight here. Uh, this was probably sometime around where my channel was maybe at five or 600 subscribers. And somebody was talking somewhere <laughs> about... Uh, about channel growth. And they said that they viewed the 100,000 subscriber milestone, the silver play button as a college degree. And I was like, wow, that's kind of a cool way to look at that. And the reason why is they explained it's because by the time you have gotten there, if you're someone who's really been consistently working and learning and growing, it's not just that you've built an audience, but you've also you've been able to build an audience because you've been able to communicate something and create something that matters to people. You've built up a certain technical skill set to at least some degree. You've proven that it's not just sort of like, you know, oh, I made, you know, one or two videos, so I'm done. But it's this thing that you're working on consistently. And you, you've you definitely amassed some kind of like business savvy at that point. So there's all these different skills that have come together to get you to that point, which probably for the most part isn't just by accident. And that's a cool way to look at that. So I, I, I don't know if you agree with that or not. 
I thought that was a very cool way to look at it because I was a teacher. Education is important to me, even though I fully understand college ain't for everyone. I don't think everyone should go to college. I think a lot of college is a complete ripoff and student loans are a nightmare. So fully understand all that. But the idea of learning, getting a degree for a bit of knowledge is something that is important to me. I spent a lot of time in school getting trying to get degrees. Um, and it was like it was a cool way to look at YouTube. It's like, wow, there's a thing on here where you could it almost counts as a degree. And of course, it doesn't apply universally. There are some people who there are literally channels out there who are like 100k with no videos, and that's their whole thing is they just spam comments on every video on the platform. So people will subscribe to them even though they have zero videos and they want to get to like 100k or something with no videos. That's different. Maybe that's its own kind of achievement. There are also, of course, people who, you know, have one or two videos that happen to go really viral. So they hit that milestone really, really quickly. And with only doing a couple of videos, there are, you know, huge channels that start second channels that in the first week pass the milestone. So just because a channel passes that milestone doesn't mean that, you know, it has gone through this. But I think from what I've seen, the majority of people who hit that milestone who are like independent individual creators tend to be people who have been doing it for a while. They've made a lot of videos. They've made a lot of mistakes. They've had to learn a lot of things. By the time they get there, I think there is a certain level of just experience that that is worth something. And it's cool to get like, it's cool that this little piece of memorabilia could potentially have more meaning behind it than just like, oh, it's a thing you got sent. Um, and that that I really like. That stuck with me. And it was a reason why the 100,000 mark became such a big deal to me. And I, I felt, you know, there were definitely times where it's like, I wanted to make sure I was comfortable never hitting that milestone. Because if the channel stalled out at like 60,000 subscribers when I left to do it full time, and I was still able to pay our bills and do everything, who cares, right? Like, that's still amazing. I still get to do something absolutely amazing. And that's my job. And it takes care of us. Who cares what the numbers are? You know, it's better than having 100,000 and, and not being able to like pay bills. So the numbers don't necessarily correlate that way. But I wanted to make sure, you know, as much as it was a goal, I also don't have a ton of control over it. I do have control over not giving up for five years. I do have control over 350 videos and th those are things when I when I think back to like creating the channel, create new account, sign up, like upload first video to go like, you're gonna do this hundreds of more times. And these are all the different people you're going to meet and all the different experience you're to meet your wife because of this, like you're gonna leave your job. Like that's crazy. That's a crazy thing to happen in five years that I just never, I just never thought could happen. And legitimately, I, I do remember prior to having my YouTube channel, um, several months, maybe like, actually, no, it's like the school year before, because I started my channel in the summer. So earlier in that school year, I had started a YouTube channel for the broadcast program that I was teaching because we needed a way to live stream that was easy. And then people in the school and community could watch the live streams. And so I started a YouTube channel, did that. And I remember specifically when we started our channel, I did it out of necessity. It's essentially Google Drive is kind of what I was using it for. But the students were really excited to be in a class that like had a YouTube channel. And I remember some of them going like, oh, Mr. Buck, are we going to get a silver play button? And I was like, I don't know what that is. Like, is that a setting I have to turn on or what? Uh, I didn't, I had no idea what it was. So it's, it's and that's what's funny with milestones is you can have something that means the world to someone and another person's like, I don't know 
or care about this at all. So then eventually, of course, I started, once I started really like paying attention more to YouTube creators, and I was like, oh, there's like this thing. And then, you know, you learn more about the platform and invest more time into it. But I still thought it'd be like the equivalent of, of an Academy Award or something now where it's like, that's a cool thing that people can win. It's not something... It's not something that I even would consider in the realm of possibility for myself, but it's cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that's kind of how it felt. Like it, it would, it, it wasn't even something to like uh, shoot for or aim for because it just wasn't possible. And I remember as the channel started growing, even like 50K, 60K, which is still, you know, barely halfway there. It's like, we have to do all this again it started to seem like I never thought it could be at this point and it still seems to be going that that previously impossible milestone might actually be possible and that's crazy. And that was when it started to just sort of feel, it just started to feel like something different and something, it just, I don't know, it hit different, I guess, again, as the kids say. But the reason I'm, t- I'm sharing all of that, all of that uh, is for two things. One, Uh, YouTube is a very special thing for me for a lot of reasons. So first, growing up, making videos as a kid, that was what me and my friends did. That's why when Peter was here and we got to just spend days recording videos together, it was so much fun because even though I make videos a lot and, you know, Heather and I live together, we make videos. Like, I haven't just gone out and made videos with a friend, like, since I was a kid, like, like that in the way that we were making videos and it was so crazy to go like, this is the same thing I would have done when I was 12 years old. And now I'm doing it at 36 years old as my job. And it's really cool. And that is incredibly exciting because when I was a kid doing it, I mean, I can't even tell you how many videos, movies, as we thought they were, my best friend and I made as a kid. Like All my friends and I would make movies, but my best friend specifically, both of us were like, we're going to be movie directors. And he is a professional cinematographer who you've probably seen work from him. Like he, he, he did it. Uh, but it also seemed really, really stressful. And I, I, I definitely couldn't have survived in that uh, for as long as he did. But he's amazing. And we were, that's all we did was make videos as kids, make movies, terrible, terrible movies every weekend, every free moment we had. And most of the time, the like premiere for those videos was just whoever was in the house at the time. So mostly our parents, <laughs> um, sometimes other friends. And that's about it. But I remember specifically, December of 1999, we thought we had gotten really good at making videos because we've been doing it for a few years at that point, like trying to make actual movies. It was the end of the millennium and we wanted to make a movie that was a combination of all the movies we were really like into at the time, which was primarily Austin Powers 2 and The Matrix because we were 13. And well, that's, I shouldn't say that. The Austin Powers 2, I don't know how that holds up now. The Matrix still actually totally holds up. And when that movie came out in 1999, oh my, like, I remember being in the theater and being like, I've never seen anything like this. It's like how I hear people talk about Star Wars when they saw the original Star Wars in the theater. It's like, I remember this is different. Um, So anyway, so our movie had a lot of weird humor and, um, you know, fake guns and trench coats because the matrix <laughs> and we were 13 of course so it was very convincing acting but we thought we were really good at this time we wanted to spend like the whole as much of our like christmas break as we could so we spent basically two weeks working on one movie 
It was called Y2K because it was about Y2K. Very timely movie at, at the time. And the plot had something to do with Bill Gates and clones and nuclear weapons uh, and Y2K setting them off. And I, I don't know. And of course, there was like an FBI agent who's going to stop him. That was me. Anyway, we spent all this time writing, quote unquote, this movie, and then filming this movie on our little eight millimeter camcorder to do the titles. I remember making PowerPoint presentations, and then we would just put a blanket over the camera and the computer monitor and film the computer monitor, uh, which was terrible because it's a CRT monitor. So it's like flickering and staticky, but it's the best we could do. We thought it looked great. I remember editing videos. If you've ever done tape to tape editing, so my very first job was working at a TV station where we did tape to tape editing, but it was on pro level VCRs. So you could do frame accurate stuff. You would set an in point and an out point, and then it would be accurate to the individual frame of where it would start and stop recording stuff. Home VCRs and home camcorders do not work that way <laughs> at all. They're very inaccurate. You know, if you press play on a VCR, it's usually a few seconds before the tape starts playing. If you press record, it's usually a few seconds, even though the tape starts moving before it starts recording. So when you're editing and you're trying to play a tape and record it onto another tape, syncing those things up, I remember we would know like, okay, this camcorder has a one second delay. This VCR has a two second delay. So we're gonna press record on the VCR and then press play on the camcorder and hopefully they will sync up when we need this shot to cut in here because that was the only way we could edit the movies at the time was tape to tape editing. And then if you, so that's how you, you create your movie is just, this is happening now. Now we need this shot. We're just recording from one tape to another tape, but it's not a timeline that you can just move around. So if you suddenly realize you need to replace a shot or this scene should go earlier in the movie. The way we did it was we would then go, okay, we will record the finished chunk to another tape and then we will record over that part with the part we need to add in and then record that finished chunk back to the tape afterwards so it's been moved around. But as you might know, if you've ever done any kind of analog recording or transfer, every time you re-record something, it loses quality, like a generational loss of quality so by the time something has gone back and forth from tape to tape to tape to tape, it and you, you were starting with like a 480p camcorder to begin with, you can't even see what's on screen. It, it looks like it's like a scrambled like cable channel because it makes no, no sense. You can't tell what's happening. And that was our video quality. And then I remember the last thing we had to do uh, was the audio. So to add in like the music and stuff, once everything was done, we would have to like... I forget how we would do this. I think we would transfer it one last time to another tape, degrading the quality again. But that time, as it was playing in certain parts, we would have like a CD player that would play music. So it would it would play, which from a, regardless of how terrible that video quality was and those movies are, that's really cool. Like when you think about 12, 13 year old kids, like figuring that kind of stuff out, that's really cool. And those are like, that kind of problem solving is awesome. And it was that kind of thing was always something I was excited when I saw it in my students. And I think it's easier to not have to do that now because everything is so amazing. And I'm actually grateful we had those really frustrating experiences. But this movie specifically, we spent the most time we ever had. Normally we'd do a whole movie in a day or something. So we spent two weeks on it, multiple days editing it. I basically lived at his house and then... The movie itself, I think, was almost 20 minutes long. Normally, movies would be like, well, I shouldn't say normally. 
Sometimes he would have a really long movie, but that's because half of it was just like one long shot with the camcorder walking around, like filming what we thought were scenes. But typically if we tried to like edit a movie together, it would be a couple of minutes. And this one was almost 20 minutes. It's like feature length. We worked so hard on it. We were so proud of it. So incredibly proud of it. And the only people who ever saw it were um, my parents when they came to pick me up from his house. So it was my mom and stepdad, his parents, that's four people, his little brother, that's five people plus us. So seven people. (laughs) Um, I think that's it. There might've been like one of his other relatives there or something, but seven or eight people was it. That's the maximum number of people who could see this movie, not because they wanted to, but because we forced them to. Like, like we are playing this on the living room VCR right now and everyone needs to watch it. And that's, that's it. That's like how you would get people to watch your videos. I do remember later on, like in middle school and high school, if there was ever the option to do a video project, you know, you need to do something and you can do a written report or a video. I'd like, I'd opt for the video every single time. And that was a little more exciting because it was like a whole room of people. You have, you know, 35 students watching it even though they all hate your guts and they definitely don't want to be watching the crappy movie you made but it's still like wow look at like so many people are i remember even filming videos sometimes and like looking at my camera lens and going wow like this lens like 30 people are gonna see what is filmed through this lens which is cool and like i don't know it's a it's a weird thought to have but i just remember thinking that's really really neat so then when you have something like youtube where you can take ultra high resolution video in any frame rate, aspect ratio, quality that you want. You can upload it anytime you want, as much of it as you want. And you can share it with the entire world for free constantly. That's amazing. So being able to do that on YouTube is, is pretty unreal. And that is something that like the the appreciation I have for YouTube for that, for enabling that is huge. And then the other thing is personally, um, I was having this thought yesterday and then we did talk about a little bit on the couples table, but I personally grew up uh, feeling very much like an outsider, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to ironically. And I also felt like the way I can describe it is so many things weren't for me. They were for other people. Um, and what Heather and I talked about was like, I use, use simple examples like going out to eat. You know, my family would was very modest. So not only would we pretty much never go out to eat, but if we did, we'd be like Denny's or something. Bob's a big boy. And then we would you know, like never get dessert or something. If, if it was a huge special occasion, maybe a piece of cake. But for the most part, it's like, no, why we have food at home. We're not going to pay extra for dessert here. Are you serious? But then I would see, you know, a couple booths over, there'd be a family and they'd have ice cream and cake and hot fudge sundaes and stuff. And like, wow, that's cool. Like those people get to do that. You know, we would go, it was just kind of anything, you know, you, you check into a hotel. This sounds like we were living these like very like, uh, vanguard lifestyles traveling all the time, but I'm thinking of things like hotels we will take the cheapest room that's next to the parking lot vending machine. And then there's other people who are like, oh, that room sucks. Like, can we have a nicer room that's not terrible? And it's like, yeah, it's going to be a little bit extra money. Oh, that's not for us. That's not what we do. And that that kind of mentality went to, to literally everything. Not just buying stuff, but I remember even as a kid, like wanting to try sports, like wanting, 
there were people in my family who were decently athletic. My own dad was like really athletic. But I, you know, as a real little kid, I'd run around like the yard and with my friends in the neighborhood and stuff, but I didn't like do sports and training or anything. So early elementary school, it's like, yeah, maybe I want to try a soccer team. Maybe I want to, you know, play this game during recess. Maybe I want to try something here. But if I wasn't immediately good at it, which of course nobody is for the most part, it was like I would get, I would never get encouraged to try to get better. I would only be ridiculed for being bad. And that's also because like the the place I grew up in was just a sucky place. And that's just the kind of, there weren't kind, there weren't a lot of kind people who would be encouraging and supportive about stuff. And so I thought, I legitimately thought if somebody's good at a sport, it's because they're naturally good at it. I'm not naturally good at it. So I will never be. So I should just give up because that's for other people, which then of course, like led to me like spending a lot of my childhood also being a chubby kid who was just like, I don't want to be fat, but I'm like the fat kid now. And uh, I feel really terrible about this. And people make me feel really terrible about this, even though like, you know, I, I shouldn't have needed to feel as bad as I did. But even feeling like I wish I were in better shape and whatever, I would look at other people who are athletic and I would think, oh, no, being in good shape is for them. Like being being skinny is for them. It's not for me. Like anything, which of course, all of that stuff was within my reach at the time. But I didn't know that I legitimately didn't know that like it didn't it didn't compute. And that just kept going. I, I even remember like an example I use in an early YouTube video uh, is as a kid, I would often go to like a daycare. It was like a daycare that was at this woman's house. And there were there were like nine or 10 kids that would go while my parents were at work. This was like before elementary school. And early afternoon would be nap time for the kids and so she would put on like a Disney VHS and all the kids would have like the little blankets or sleeping bags in like the, the living room. And then of course, you know, 15 minutes into the movie, everyone falls asleep and then usually wake up right about the time they get picked up. You know who didn't fall asleep though? Me. <laughs> you know why? Because we didn't have movies, like commercial movies at home. We had like, had like some bootleg Simpsons I had recorded off the TV, some bootleg Looney Tunes, and that's about it. Maybe some Inspector Gadget as well. Um, so having like, like, oh my God, this is a movie from like the theater. Like it comes in a box with graphics on it. I'm going to watch this whole movie. Are you kidding? But it was very frustrating for the babysitter for me to not take a nap because then she like couldn't work on like cleaning things up or taking care of whatever needed to be taken care of. And then I'd also be a tired cranky boy at the end of the day. So the solution, (laughs) instead of just saying, Tom, it's really important for you to take a nap, like you need to go to sleep right now. The solution was as everybody's sleeping bags were set up in the living room, mine would, because we would come into the room and everything would already be set up. Mine was behind the couch. And uh, so I couldn't see the TV. So I would get bored and fall asleep. Like how you put a sheet over a bird cage. So the bird like goes to sleep and stops being interested in things. That was basically what they had to do to me. Um, And that sucked because I have very distinct memories of like peeking through the like cracks of a couch cushion thing with like lint and fuzz and dust and stuff to try to just like see the TV so I could try to see what's happening because I could kind of hear it. Um, And then I remember, you know, like, of course, all the other kids are watching the movie together. So before they fell asleep, they're talking to each other, they're having fun, they're making jokes, and I'm back there behind the couch, separate and isolated. So this is my experience. 
watching the movie and being part of the group and enjoying things, that's for them. When you're three years old and that's your experience, it really kind of sticks with you, that sort of stuff. And those sorts of things just kind of happened my entire life, both um, beyond my control and things that were my own fault, but I didn't realize it at the time. And so that's a long way to sort of explain that that's sort of a mentality I had, even when it came to starting a YouTube channel was... Even if I would watch someone, like I would watch a Dave Dugdale who's sitting in his home office just talking about cameras. And it's like, hey, I have a camera. I have a desk. I could sit at my desk and talk about cameras too. No, that's for him because he he's allowed to do that. The, the people who do these things, they're better than me. They're more like they're just more capable. They're more knowledgeable. People are more interested in them. Uh, they just have more to offer than I do. That's not for me. And of course, being surrounded by other people who would back up those, those negative self-thoughts doesn't help at all. So that's how it felt a long time. And it wasn't until 2017 starting the channel where it was like, no, I can do this. And it didn't matter if anybody was watching or not, but I'm, I want to start doing this. And of course, that's what led to me then deciding to go, well, you know, like I've always wanted to take a trip to Iceland, like... I, I have a job. I could afford to book a trip. I've never had anyone in my life who wanted to go. They always wanted to, everyone I knew always wanted to go to places I was never interested in going usually. And I wanted to go here. Why do I need to wait for somebody else to say it's okay or give me permission? Can't I just call and book the trip? Which ironically, the person I called and booked the trip with was named Tom Buck. And it was very confusing for the both of us. <laughs> it's super weird. Uh, I did actually, you know what? I mentioned on the couple's table this past week that I had never met another, like, every Tom Buck I've ever met, and there's been a few, has always been kind of weird. I'm sorry if you're one of them. It's a very specific group of people. Uh, but this this Tom Buck was actually super cool, and, like, um, I, I had to call him multiple times while booking this trip, and he was amazing, and that was awesome. And then I would get, I would also accidentally get business emails because since my email was in their system like co colleagues would send like business related things to him, but it would come to me. It was, a, it was very funny. Anyway, I booked this trip to Iceland and Switzerland that I always wanted to go on. I was like, yeah, I just want to go for three weeks. Like who cares? I'm going to go as long as I want to go. I want to stay in this hotel. I want to take this tour. I want to do these things because I want to, and it's not for other people. It's not for like the cool thing I saw in a movie or a cool thing I saw on someone else's YouTube channel. It's for me. I can do that too. I also like, you know, Never got particularly good at skateboarding or anything, but always thought it was really cool. Been watching all these Casey Neistat videos. He's got these boosted boards. Those look really fun. They're also super expensive and definitely something I would be criticized and ridiculed for spending money and time on and like, who do you think you are? Uh, but screw that. I'm totally 100% going to buy a boosted board, but because I want to be an informed consumer, I'm definitely going to look up some reviews first. Look, here's a review from this girl in Long Beach about a boosted board, and she also has videos about traveling to Iceland, and she also has videos about digital media and digital literacy. So normally I would never, up to that point in my life, leave a comment on somebody's YouTube channel or send them an email because, God forbid, like no one would want to hear from me. No one would want... I can't just reach out and talk to someone like I will just be getting in the way. I will just be bothering them. No, this time I'm going to leave a comment that says, you know, the things you're talking about are really important. This is why I think because I'm a teacher of the exact thing that you're talking about, like I teach a digital media program, 
This is a video about digital media being important. And now we're married. Like I'm married to that person. And I remember meeting Heather for the first time because we did connect after that message. Um, I thought she was the coolest person in the world because she is. But I, I was, she was so cool and just so like accepting and supportive, even before we knew each other, it's just like, yeah, you should totally have a YouTube channel. Oh, this job you do, this is really cool. Oh, this is like, everything was just cool. And then as we got to know each other more, and I started to know some of her friends and that kind of stuff, everybody was just, it was all these groups of like the kids that I would have normally been on the other side of the couch that I thought I wouldn't belong to or couldn't go there. And turns out, no, you can totally just be a part of, you can totally do that. Nobody is telling you that you can't, you can just go for it. And if you try and people do tell you you can't, those people suck. And like, you, you don't want to spend your time with them anyway. So YouTube, the reason I bring that up is because that all, all of that from getting inspired to the point of actually starting something to showing myself that I could start something to then starting to reach out and connect with other people and then taking that even further by like, you know, creating a channel that could be my job by meeting people who actually like what I make and are supportive of it to hitting an absolutely insane milestone that was not something I ever thought was in the realm of possibility. All of that happened just because of this video sharing website. So it's like, I can be frustrated sometimes, you know, with algorithms and comments and things, but the the power and the magic of YouTube is something that is really real and really special to me and really important to me. And it's helped me to learn so much. And so the biggest thing, I guess the ultimate point, aside from just wanting to celebrate cool milestones, the ultimate point in me sharing all this is that I it wouldn't surprise me if there's somebody else out there who has those same feelings of like, I would like to do this, but I can't. I would like to do this, but it's not for me for whatever reason. Too old, too unskilled, too uninteresting, too whatever, or not enough time, or people will make fun of me, or I don't have supportive family. Like it's it's for other people. It's not for me. 100% no. It is absolutely for you if you want it to be. You don't have to want it to be, and that's fine too. Like you don't... you. You don't have to care about a milestone on a, on a video platform or whatever. That's completely fine and valid as well. But for anybody who feels like something is for other people and not for them, I would strongly encourage you to try proving yourself wrong, to reach out to people who you think are your people and who could be supportive to you, and to give, your, give yourself the chance to try something new and see where it goes. And there's a very good chance that if it, if it turns out you like it and that you want to stick with whatever the thing is, that it will open doors and take you places that you absolutely never thought possible. And I, there's so many things happening right now today in my life that I never thought would be possible. And I'm incredibly grateful, incredibly grateful for them and incredibly appreciative to everybody, including you who are listening for helping that to happen and helping that to be, uh, to just be my reality. If I could go back, not just to the version of me that started a YouTube channel, was clicking start, because I think that person was already in a decent place. But if I could go back earlier to the person who was not in that place, it, it would be really, really comforting to know that all of this 
was still like ahead and still going to happen. So that's incredibly exciting. Thank you for listening to me talk about this the whole time. I appreciate it. Um, as always, of course, if you have anything you want to say, feel free to go to hi, my name is Tom.com, leave a, an audio message, or you can send an audio video or text to Tom at enthusiasmproject.com. And yeah, so just thank you. Thank you for being a part of my journey. If I've been a part of your journey, journey, thank you for letting me do that. Thank you. Just thank you. I'm incredibly appreciative. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to see what comes next. And I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week. And I will see you next time. Oh, wait, wait. Remember, the buck stops here. That's what I'm supposed to say now. Mm-hmm.